part two of joseph conrad a personal remembrance by ford maddox ford this LibriVox recording is in the public domain part two section three we returned then to romance it has been asserted that the writer paid conrad large sums for the honor of collaborating with him this being conrad's inducement for continuing those very arduous labors this was not the case even to lend money to conrad was always a very difficult operation frequently it was a very painful one seeing the agony of mind conrad would be in over his debts or his complication of affairs so that to be refused the ease to oneself of making a small loan had almost the aspect of a cruelty as if a patient in great pain should refuse for the sake of conscience the alleviation of an anaesthetic from the writer conrad except in one extreme case never accepted any loan that he did not see his way plain to return shortly and with an exact punctuality and he always repaid on the date thus appointed by himself the exception was a case of one of those complicated disasters that from time to time overwhelm those who have no means of making a livelihood other than the frail thin point of the pen conrad had been ill there had been illness in his household on top of it there came a bank smash and conrad was faced either with paying immediately a fairly substantial sum or with being sold up this sum the writer advanced to conrad it was in due time repaid illness and the anticipation of illness debt and still more the vision of the approach of a time when he must inevitably incur debt are because of his necessary powers of the imagination more terrible to the novelist than to any other human creature as regards illness in a society that has gradually become self-protectively organized the vocations or professions are very few in which the illness of a worker means entire cessation of income the shopkeeper's shop will go on perhaps it will be less efficiently conducted if its head is absent for any long period and so with the business of the merchant or the financier the doctor the parson and the lawyer can find locos tenentes of course at some expense the working man has his insurance the serving class are to some extent protected by law the literary man has nothing even insurance against illness is for him a very poor expedient since the things that will stop him working are as frequently as not diseases in no way diagnosable the writer once suffered from a nervous breakdown that lasted for two years and over during which he was withdrawn from practically all human activities except taking the waters at various german spas he was completely unable to write he had been insured against illness with a large and reputable society for a considerable time yet all that he was able to recover by way of a compromise from that society was a sum a little less than a quarter of the instalments he had paid there was no redress apparently the laws of england hold that diseases of the nerves are not illnesses yet they will stop you writing 
and to so admirable a family man as was conrad half of whose mind at least was given to the matter of securing comfort and permanent provision for those dependent on him whose agonies over this department of his life were sempiternal and overwhelming the mere illness of a member of his family was sufficient to maim his working mind for long periods for the author's mind jumps very fast to extreme apprehensions and only too frequently he knows a great deal too much for his peace of mind of the progress of illnesses he is forced to that by the very necessities of his profession in the course of which he must from time to time at least describe the progress of one illness or another indeed he writes because his memory is more tenacious and more vivid in its functionings than that of other men that causes the anticipation of all misfortunes to weigh more heavily on him that is if possible even more the case with the facing of debts or the anticipation of debts the layman incurs debts as a part of necessary business of life without which commercial operations cannot be conducted as often as not his creditors are great corporations unfeeling it is true but immune from personal suffering if he himself goes bankrupt it is nowadays usually in the form of a firm or a public company and he will go on much as before to the novelist a debt is a sword in the hands of an individual who himself may starve if he do not receive his due who is also an executioner who is also a mysterious and dreaded force of evil unknown in his functionings unknown particularly what happens if you are county courted what sort of faces have brokers men do they despise or reprove you for having dared to incur a debt that you cannot discharge the pictured horrors of the situation are infinite you imagine your infant child turned out of its cot by rough men like the murderers in the tower or still more terribly you imagine your child old enough to appreciate deprivations squalors and the disgrace almost the most vivid emotion that the writer can remember in his whole life was caused by the first visit one of the greatest of writers paid to the pent it has been already described in a book of the writers but as no one discoverable ever read it it may come in here again we were sitting then in a quiet sunlit day in the parlour of the pent conrad was at the round table in the middle of the room writing his face to the window his collaborator was reading some pages of corrected manuscript facing into the room a shadow went over those pages from the window behind conrad exclaimed good god in an accent of such agony and terror that the writer's heart actually stopped as he swung round to the window to follow the direction of his companion's appalled glance it went through his mind this must be the bailiff's he has debts of which i do not know what is to be done are all the doors bolted what does one do an extremely tall man with a disproportionately small grave head was stalking past the window examining the house front with suspicion the family were all out driving how could they be got in if all the doors had to be bolted through the window but if a window is used as a place of ingress surely a bailiff can use it too one imagines that immense grave fellow in a pepper-and-salt gamekeeper's coat with tails 
putting one knee over the window-sill as a small boy is handed in surely an execution for debt cannot take place after sunset then they will have to remain out till then or perhaps that is obsolete law they could go into the great barn it is always warm and still there with the scent of hay like an immense church the house was perfectly still the tall figure with the aspect of a spanish alcada disappeared from above the monthly roses he had been stalking very slowly like a man in a grave pageant a stork suddenly conrad exclaimed in a voice that was like a shout of joy by jove it's the man come about the mare conrad was almost always going through some complicated horse dealings with that mare of his he was going to exchange her for a pair of shetland ponies and a chaff-cutting machine he was going to sell her in ashford market as against part of the price of a stout irish cob the remainder to be paid by the loaning of her during haymaking to the farmer who hired the lands of the pent she was to be exchanged with a horse-dealer who was shortly going out of business and had a most admirable roll-top desk and a really good typewriter traps could be hired from the drum inn at stamford conrad's conviction restored life to the fainting pent it breathed once more the cat jumped off the window-sill the clock struck four the rider hurried a little tremulous still to open the front door the tall thin grave man looked gravely at him the rider exclaimed hurriedly the mare's out driving he added with the ladies it's a great thing to be able to prove to a horse-dealer that your mare can really be driven by a lady the man he resembled a sundial said in the slow voice a sundial must have i'm hudson the rider said yes yes the mare's out with the ladies getting into his voice the resonance of a great bell the tall man with the spanish sort of beard said i'm w h hudson i want to see conrad you are not conrad are you you are herfer the writer may very well have psychologized conrad wrongly though he remained strongly under the impression that after that king of men had gone conrad said by jove i thought he was a bailiff but the occupation of writing to such a nature as conrad's is terribly engrossing to be suddenly disturbed is apt to cause a second's real madness we were once going up to town in order to take some proofs to a publisher and halfway between sandling and charing cross conrad remembered some phrases that he had forgotten to attend to in the proofs he tried to correct them with a pencil but the train jolted so badly that writing sitting on a seat was impossible conrad got down on the floor of the carriage and lying on his stomach went on writing naturally when the one phrase was corrected twenty other necessities for correction stuck out of the page we were alone in the carriage the train passed paddock wood passed orpington rushed through the suburbs the writer said we're getting into town conrad never moved except to write the house-roofs of london whirled in perspective round us the shadow of cannon street station was over us conrad wrote the final shadow of charing cross was over us it must have been very difficult to see down there he never moved 
mildly shocked at the idea that a porter might open the carriage door and think us peculiar the rider touched conrad on the shoulder and said we're there conrad's face was most extraordinary suffused and madly vicious he sprang to his feet and straight at the rider's throat the lay reader say an officer of his majesty's army should not hear say ah these literary men let him think of his own feelings when he is trying to write some particularly complicated lie in an excuse to orderly room over something or other the writer once saw a colonel and a deuced smart colonel at that in orderly room snatch up a revolver and damn near shoot an orderly who had interrupted him in a literary composition the quartermaster whose job it was the adjutant and the writer who had been called in having all failed the c o was himself trying to explain to garrison headquarters why the regiment's washing was given to the riverdale laundry company instead of to some firm recommended by g h q you could almost swear his tongue followed his pen round and round in his mouth in the effort of composition well the lay reader should understand that our tongues really do follow our pens when we are engaged in writing the specious lies on which our existence depends and if our lies are not convincing we even as he shall starve and we are at it all the time whilst he gives on an average not more than five minutes a day for five days of the week to composing the misleading documents that save him from having to resign his commission and he has only one orderly room and only one assistant adjutant to deceive we lie to thousands if we are lucky to tens of thousands so we are engrossed it is not more easy for us to put words together it is more difficult because we have more sense of words and we who go at it with persistence undespairing in the face of inevitable failure are the gallant spirits conrad at least was it has to be remembered that he had to wrestle not with one language only but with three or say with two and the ghost of one for it happened to him occasionally to say there's a word so-and-so in polish to express what i want but that happened only very seldom all the rest of the time he got an effect to satisfy himself in french this was of course the case preponderantly in passages of some nicety of thought and expression he could naturally write will you have a cup of tea or he is dead without first expressing himself to himself in french but when he wrote a set of phrases like the gift of expression the bewildering the illuminating the most exalted the most contemptible the pulsating stream of light or the deceitful flow from the heart of an impenetrable darkness he was translating directly from the french in his mind or when he wrote their glance was guileless profound confident and trusting or the offing was barred by a black bank of clouds and the tranquil waterways leading to the uttermost ends of the earth flowed sombre under an overcast sky seemed to lead into the heart of an immense darkness naturally as a british master mariner he did not have to think of the offing as le large but when he was trying the sound of that sentence for his final cadence he did first say le large and then said the open sea the way to the open sea no the offing 
that the writer very well remembers conrad moreover had for long intended to end the story with the words the horror the horror l'horreur having been the last words of kurtz but he gave that up the accentuation of the english word was different from the french the shade of meaning too and the device of such an ending which would have been quite normal in a french story would have been what we used to call chargé a word meaning something between harrowing melodramatic and rhetorical for which there is no english equivalent perhaps overloaded with sentiment would come as near as you can get but that is clumsy but the mere direct translation from imagined french into english was just child's play it was when you came to the transposing precisely of such a word as chargé from french into english that difficulties began the writer remembers conrad spending nearly a whole day over one word in two or three sentences of proofs for the blackwood volume called youth it was two words perhaps serene and azure certainly it was azure and she crawled on do or die in the serene weather the sky was a miracle of purity a miracle of azure conrad said azure the writer azure or more exactly azier this worried conrad a good deal since he wanted azure for his cadence he read the sentence over and over again to see how it sounded the point was that he was perfectly aware that azure was a french word or in english almost exclusively a term of heraldry and his whole endeavouring was given to using only such words as are found in the normal english vernacular or thereabouts for he never could be got really to believe how poverty-stricken a thing the normal english vernacular is the vocabulary that he used in speaking english was enormous and he regarded it as a want of patriotism to think that the average englishman knew his language less well than himself mr henry james used to call marlowe the usual narrator for many years of conrad's stories that preposterous master mariner he meant precisely that marlowe was more of a philosopher and had a vocabulary vastly larger and more varied than you could possibly credit to the master mariner as a class conrad however persisted that marlowe was little above the average of the ship's officer in either particular and presumably he knew his former service mates better than did mr james or the rest of us still he did think that the word azure would be outside the ordinary conversational vocabulary of a ship's captain we talked about it then for a whole day why not say simply blue because really it is not blue blue is something coarser in the grain you imagine it the product of the french impressionist painter or of a house painter with the brush strokes showing or you think so of blue after you have thought of azure azure is more transparent or again the word serene why not calm why not quiet well quiet as applied to weather is or perhaps it is only was part of the little language that was being used by the last pre-raphaelite poets that ruled quiet out calm on the other hand is to a master mariner almost too normal and too technically inclusive calm is in a log-book almost any weather that would not be agitating to a landsman or
thereabouts dead calm is again to a seaman too technical dead calmness precludes even the faintest ruffle of wind even the faintest cat's paw on the unbroken surface of the sea the writer has heard it objected that conrad was pernickety why should he not use technical sea terms and let the reader make what he could of it but conrad's sea is more real than the sea of any other sea writer and it is more real because he avoided the technical word the whole passage of youth under consideration is as follows the writer is quoting from memory but as far as this passage is concerned he is fairly ready to back his memory against the printed page and she crawled on do or die in the serene weather the sky was a miracle of purity a miracle of azure the sea was polished was blue was pellucid was sparkling like a precious stone extending on all sides all round to the horizon as if the whole terrestrial globe had been one jewel one colossal sapphire and on the lustre of the great calm waters the judea moved imperceptibly enveloped in languid and unclean vapours that is as far as the writer's memory will carry him though the paragraph ends with the words the splendour of sea and sky this then is almost the perfection of sea writing of its type stephen crane could achieve another perfection by writing of the waves as barbarous and abrupt but that in the end is no less anthropomorphic and the words serene and azure remained after an infinite amount of talking so that the whole passage might retain its note of the personality of destiny that watched inscrutably behind the sky it was destiny that was serene that had purity that was azure and that ironically set that smudge of oily vapour from the burning vessel across the serenity of the miraculous sapphire so that youth might be enlightened as to the nature of the cosmos even whilst in process of being impressed with its splendours serene as applied to weather azure as applied to the sky are overriding a shade are a shade chargé if they apply merely to the sea and merely to the sky but conrad was obsessed by the idea of a destiny omnipresent behind things of a destiny that was august blind inscrutable just and above all passionless that has decreed that the outside things the sea the sky the earth love merchandising the winds shall make youth seem tenderly ridiculous and all the other ages of men gloomy imbecile thwarted and possibly heroic had the central character of this story been a fortyish man you would have had added to the burning ship with its fumes dirty weather dripping clothes the squalid attributes of the bitter sea as it was an affair of youth you have serene weather and a miracle of purity to enhance the irony of destiny End of section three